Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue to study through Romans, I just pray that you would speak to us through your everlasting truth, that you'd open up our hearts and minds to your wonderful word, that you would continue to mold us and shape us through your sanctifying power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to the 15th chapter of Romans. If you recall, last week I covered verses 7 through 12. And in verses 7 through 12, Paul is giving Old Testament Scripture pointing to the fact that the Gentiles would put their trust in God. And I mentioned as I preached through verses 7 through 12 that this personally gives me great comfort in my faith. As one surveys human history since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one cannot deny the fact that the Gentiles did embrace Jehovah God and has come to a saving knowledge as we see the church age unfold throughout the time of history since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's clearly evident that that Old Testament prophecy has become fulfilled. And in verse 12 of Romans 15, it says, and he quotes Isaiah, there shall be a root of Jesse, referring to Jesus Christ, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him, the Gentiles shall have hope. And this leads us to our focal passage this morning, which is the 13th verse of Romans 15 which reads, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy in peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So our topic this morning is hope. And in verse 12, Isaiah prophesied that the Gentiles shall have hope in God. In verse 13, Paul writes the church at Rome and says that we will have hope. And at this point, I think it's appropriate for us to have the biblical definition of hope. And let me read you what Lexham Bible Dictionary defines as hope in a biblical context. It says, "...the confidence that by integrating God's redemptive acts in the past..." With trusting human responses in the present, the faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness both in the present and in the future. Biblical faith rests on the trustworthiness of God to keep His promises. The biblical view of hope is thus significantly different from that found in ancient Greek philosophy. The Greeks recognize that human beings expressed hope by nature. However, this kind of hope reflects both good and bad experiences. The future was thus a projection of one's own subjective possibilities. Biblical hope, 
avoids this subjectivity by being focused on something that provides a sufficient basis for confidence in its fulfillment. God in his redemptive acts as they culminate in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you look at that definition, what it means is is that you and I here in Romans 15 can look and we can see all of the Old Testament prophecy that Gentiles would come to a saving knowledge of Jehovah God, of the God of the Jews. And as we look back in human history and we say, I can see that being played out since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have hope. And that's not, that's not wishful thinking. That is a confidence because we can look at the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We can see its fulfillment and we can say, because I see that, because I have faith in that, I now can have faith that God will do every single thing that He promised, not only for the future, but for my life right now. That is biblical hope. In fact, Lexham also has this theological word book, and in reference to the Pauline epistles, this is what they say. In the letters, talking about Paul's letters, hope is directly related and grows out of faith in God. While faith takes God at His word, believing that He will do as He has promised, hope is the anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises. So that's the definition of biblical hope. And that's why you can see this transition as I preached through 7 through 12 last week, in which Paul is telling the church at Rome, which has a mixture, remember, of both the Jews that believed in Jesus Christ and the Gentiles that believed in Jesus Christ. And he's dealing with the interactions of Jews and Gentiles. He's reminding his Jewish Christian audience that this was prophesied of old, that their Gentile congregants were supposed to be in the church, And he was reminding them that as you look at the prophecy of the Old Testament, that this should give us hope. But that hope isn't hope like we have in our modern vernacular. It is confidence. That this should give us confidence. So now let's look at 13 again. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which answers the question, where does hope, where does hope come from? Is it something that we muster up with our own strength and our own will? No, hope comes from God and it's a confidence. It's a confidence. It's an expectation of you realizing and me realizing that God is at work in our life. He's at work in our life. He has a plan. He is moving mankind in the fulfillment of His plan. And you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ get that, not from ourselves, but we get it from the Lord. Now, how do we obtain it? It comes from God, but how do we obtain it? Well, let's first look at the natural man. Which 
we were all unbelievers before we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you look at society today that don't express their faith in Christ, they don't have hope. Proverbs 10.28 says, The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Proverbs 11.7 says, When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. Job 27 verse 8 says, For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he may gain much, if God takes away his life? Death is the great equalizer, isn't it? We all face it. Whether we are rich, powerful, or whether we are poor and weak, we all face the grave. And for people that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, their hope is lost. Their expectation of how their life was going to turn out. Because they have put their expectation, their plan, within the plans of darkness. They've said, I'm going to do this and that. I'm going to do these things. And that's going to buy me peace and happiness and contentment. But at the end, all of that vanishes. It's all taken away. We all face the grave with nothing. It's like that old cliche, you don't see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. There's nothing that we can take with us. And this is the plight of people who do not know Jesus Christ. And as I've said many times before, I have preached the funerals of non-believers. I have preached the funerals of believers. And when you gather together, a group of unbelievers, whether it's in a church or it's at a funeral home or it's at the graveside, you can see the hopelessness on the people's face. Huge contrast between an unbeliever's funeral and a believer's funeral because hope does not exist with the unbeliever. Well, if God's the God of hope, then you and I get that hope through Jesus Christ. Let's go to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1.15. As you know, Ephesians 1 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. And I could just read one verse, but I've got to read 15 through 23 because it just all fits together and is so good. But this is what Paul tells, tells the church at Ephesus. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know... What is the hope of his calling? Now look at that again. 
What he's telling us is, is that through Jesus Christ, you and I receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and being enlightened with that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have hope. The natural man lives a life of what? What's the opposite of hope? It's despair. The natural man lives a life of despair. The Christian lives a life of hope. It goes on. Let me go back to 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be the head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fulfillness of him who fills all in all. In other words, the church should be a place of hope, should it not? If he gave us the individual hope, then collectively we should be a place of hope. We shouldn't be a place of despair. And I know it's tempting in this world as we get together, and I mentioned this last Sunday, that we get together and we have this holy huddle and we all come in together and we talk about how bad the things of the world are, which they are, and we just talk about how bad things are and then we leave. And then we come back six days later and we do the same thing. Oh, it's horrible out there. It's horrible. And then we leave. But we know how the story ends, don't we? And the story ends with a victorious Christ. That's why this should be a place of hope. We should realize that every single human institution ever invented by man is going to fail. It is going to fail. Everything is going to fail. Except one thing. And that's Jesus Christ and His church. It's a place of hope. It's a place of triumph. It's a place of confidence. Because you and I can look at Revelation and Daniel and all of the other prophetic promises and we can look and say, I know that God is seated on His throne and I know that He will reign. We get that from God Himself. Turn just a few chapters over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.4, 4, Paul writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope. In one hope of your calling. Now, remember, that's a confidence. That's a confidence. It's not, I hope I'm going to get there. It's it, I know I'm going to get there. I know I'm going to get there through the blood of Jesus Christ. I know that God is going to accomplish His purposes through the power of Jesus Christ. You and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have a hope. This leads me to my next question. Can your hope grow? And this is very important. 
And that answer is yes. Earlier in Romans 15, verse 4, look at what Paul wrote. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Wow! For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. In other words, how does my hope grow? My hope grows when I pick up His Word. Turn on the TV, listen to the radio, listen to a podcast, and you go, my goodness, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Yes, it is, but let me give you the prescription. Pick up His Word. That's the only place that you're going to get hope. He wrote this word so that you and I might have hope. I was online this morning and I was looking at a church website and I looked at the length of a sermon and it was 12 minutes. I thought, Lord, have mercy. How do you do that? I would really struggle if somebody told me to preach a 12 minute sermon. But this is what we've seen in church. Churches have increased... Nothing. I love music. I love music. Nothing wrong with music. Music's vital part of the church. But what's happened is, is that in the modern church, everything has pushed out the preaching. I used to have this old boss, and this is a phrase that he used to say, you get a sermonette for a Christianette. I can't do my job in 12 minutes. There is no preacher, pardon me, worth his salt who attempts to equip you in 12 minutes and equipping you in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is my job. That's the church's job, that we equip the believers. You can't get equipped in 12 minutes because it takes time to teach this. I remember one time we had someone that had kids in the church and they said, you just can't expect my child, it wasn't a child, it was a junior high kid, my child to sit through service that long. And I said, really? I said, let me ask you something. I said, your kids go to school every day? Uh, yes. Do they sit through math class? Yes. I said, how long is math class? It's an hour. I said, if you can sit through an hour of math, you can sit and listen to the Word of God. Twelve minutes just doesn't cut it. Because we are to grow in hope in how we grow in hope, which is expectation, is through the presentation of Scripture. It's through you every day picking up your Bible and reading His Word. And that's why we encourage you in things like with table talk, the daily devotional, so you can sit down every morning and you can open up your Word and you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and you can grow in hope. 2 Timothy verse 3, verse 14, Paul instructs Timothy in this. He says, but you must continue 
Not a one-time thing, right? But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do me a favor as you're looking at that in your Bible. In verse 14, it says, you must continue. You must continue. In other words, it's not, well, I've got my ticket to my salvation in my pocket that I'm going to present at the pearly gates and I don't have to worry about anything and I can be biblically ignorant and then one day I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to give my token to God so I can get in. He says, you must continue. In other words, we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's how our hope grows. And if you look, it says, but we must continue in verse 14. And if you just wanted to put dot, 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 verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, that we're complete. We must continue so we may be complete. Can your hope grow? In other words, can your confidence grow? Can your expectation grow? Yes, absolutely. And how does it grow? Through Scripture. Through Scripture. So God's the God of hope. We obtain hope through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope can grow through the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that leads me to my next question. What should we hope for? What should we hope for? Should we hope for big bank accounts? Should we hope for fancy cars? Should we hope for large houses? Should we hope for a life without problems? What should be the focus of our hope? Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify Himself, His own special people, zealous for good works. You know, this was one of the first verses I ever memorized in high school, this group of verses. I love these verses. And the reason why I love these verses is that these verses tell you a lot of what you should be doing as a believer. When you look at verse 11, first of all, it tells us that you and I should be pursuing holiness. We should be pursuing holiness. It says righteously and godly in this present age. So people that believe in cheap grace... That, you know, oh, I can go down, I can say a few words, or I had some event when I was a kid, and I'm good for salvation because that was okay, and now I can live like a dog until God calls me home? Uh Uh-uh. We are called to pursue holiness. 
We're called to abide with God. So he's telling me and he's telling you that we should be in the pursuit of holiness right now in this present age. But look at verse 13. As I pursue holiness, as you pursue holiness, it says looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. In other words, we are looking for the return of Jesus Christ. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that next Sunday at 12 noon that Jesus Christ would return, would you attend church? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. You'd attend church. You'd be here. You'd be ready. But isn't he telling us we should always be looking? And I'll say this, that I believe that we are in the end of times. Because as we see people cling to darkness in the rise of the persecution of the church and those who believe in the things of Christ, I think it's telling us that we're closer. And if we're closer, shouldn't we be looking? Looking for Christ, living for Christ, and looking for God working. This is what we should be hoping for, looking for. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, and you look at the Lord's Prayer. And remember, they came to Him and said, teach us how to pray. And when you look at verses 9 and 10 of the Lord's Prayer, and if you learn that through the King James Version, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. What? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. That's what we should be hoping for is not only the future kingdom, but His will being victorious right now in our lives. This is what we should be hoping for. Romans 8, verse 28 through 30, which is a group of verses that a lot of us are familiar with. And in fact, I would say more than likely that After John 3.16, these verses are probably some of the most quoted verses by believers. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. Whom He justified, these He also glorified. And we tend to use this verse to give people comfort, right? This, this is a verse often used as believers when we see, when we see people that are struggling, that these are verses that we use to tell people it's going to be okay. It's beyond our comprehension sometimes. But 
It's going to be okay. But I also want to point something else out about these verses. First of all, if you recognize in verse 28 that we're called according to His purpose, not my purpose, not your purpose, His purpose. But then when you look at verse 29 through 30, as it tells us that He's called us to be conformed to the image of His Son. And then He brings up those great doctrinal truths of predestination, of our calling, of justification, of our glorification. And you think about that. What Paul is doing in these verses is, is he is displaying the fact that, yes, we're called in hope. We're called in hope, as I've clearly shown through a number of Scripture this morning. But if all things work together for good. It means that in our life of salvation, God is at work. He's at work in our life. We're not just walking along in our life as happenstance. That's not the case. God is at work. He's at work. And what Paul is doing in Romans 15 is, is he's pointing out that God prophesied through the prophets that the Gentile people would come to a saving knowledge. And he points that out in 7 through 12. And then in verse 13, he says, you'll have hope. You'll have hope. And what you and I need to be doing, as Paul was exhorting the church at Rome to do, you and I need to be studying the Scripture, looking at the fulfillment of the prophecies of the things of old, and then having the confidence of not only the return of Christ, that hopeful expectation, but also recognizing that whatever you and I are going through right now, Whatever we're going through, both individually and also from a societal standpoint and a national standpoint, we've got to be confident that He's in control. He's in control. And He uses all things. All things. And as we look at prophecy and we think about it like, for example, in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and as we see all the all of the prophecy there in that chapter regarding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That could not have happened unless He moved among people. He uses all people. There couldn't have been a betrayal, for example, unless there was a Judas. He uses all people to accomplish His purposes. And whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, whatever trial or temptation, you just have to recognize He's in control. That's where our hope is. That's where our confidence is. He is in control. He will glorify Himself among people until one day we're all around His throne. Every believer from every age We're going to be surrounded around the throne of God and we're going to be glorifying Him and we're going to have the ability to look back 
across the ages and say, everything, everything was done for his glory. That should be our hope. Join me in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us the scriptures for instruction. You have given us the scripture for hope. And I pray that if there is someone who's never rested in the hope that you offer, that they would ask for forgiveness of sins, that they would repent and they would turn to you. I pray, Lord, that we might as a congregation search your scriptures every day individually so that we might have the hope that's been promised to us as believers I pray, Lord, that we might be a witness in our community of the confident expectation of knowing that you will reign supreme through all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m., For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.